1: Welcome to Future CEOs. My name is Gareth Armstrong and today we are talking to an expert. Yes, it's our Ask an Expert feature where we're going to be asking the question, do we rent or do we buy? What seems to be happening is that certainly the millennial generation, the rising generation are buying property less, searching for that lifestyle grant. This is what you've seen out in the market. You're an expert in this field. Quickly introduce who you are and let's let's uh, have a conversation around this. I of rent versus buy.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Gareth. And obviously lovely to be here again. My name is Grant Gavin. I am the owner of two Remax franchises down in Durban. We've got a franchise in Durban North and La Lucia. Um, I don't sell property. I manage a office of 80 real estate agents. And I've been doing it now for 12 years. Mm. Um, on the personal side, I've had a property flipping company where I bought and sold my own investments. Always had an interest in property. I've grown up in a property family. One of my first goals when I went out into the world was to buy that first property. So I think I'm well-placed to see what's going on at the moment. And you, you're 100% right. Um, there is a trend with millennials where I think they've worked out that they can actually live in the lifestyle accommodation that they want. At a far cheaper rate than if they actually had to go and buy that property.
1: Yeah, which is which is way too far out for them to be able to purchase something that would potentially cost millions, whereas actually they can rent just for a fraction of that and for as long as that lifestyle suits them. Because there's a bit of a there seems to be a transient element to their desires. It seems, and I, I should probably say. Our desires, because I'm on the cusp of being a millennial, I understand. We were speaking off air and we said we need to split this conversation into two parts. One being the idea of investing, the other being a lifestyle decision where you, you make the decision with a partner, either purchase a home and or rent. And and there's pros and cons to both. Where should we start? You're the expert. What's the right
0: place to start? Okay, let's start with the individual who's considering buying a home to live in that home Mm. Uh, and now your choice is do i buy something or do i find something to rent possibly in a better area than i can afford to buy or possibly with a better lifestyle element that i can afford to buy Um, and it's such a pertinent question especially for young people right now if you look at the price of property and how property has escalated in value over the years i mean you you take a young person who's coming into the market for the first time it's a massive step to get Mm. on the property ladder and I know when I grew up, it was always drummed into me that you don't want to pay somebody else's mortgage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we've all heard that. Yeah, exactly. And so for me, it was always a case of when I grew up, I've got to buy something as soon as I can because I've got to get onto the onto the ladder. I've got to get into the market as soon as possible. And I think that's still relevant because the sooner you get onto the, the ladder or into the property market, then you're you're getting this wave of growth and you're starting to build personal equity. Mm. But I think now the thinking is changing slightly and I must say when I first came back to South Africa in about 2006, I was also in this mindset of, well, why don't I rather live where I can afford to live and possibly live in a better accommodation or in a better area and as long as I've got other investments that are building me equity and and building me wealth personally, then I'm fine. I can rent wherever I want to be. So I think we've got to look at the option of rent versus buy and say what are the pros and what are the cons of each situation.
1: But what I'm hearing you say here is that a, a big con, if it's not in place, but you'll, you'll get by if there's something in place, is that if you look forward into the future and you're not building equity or wealth for yourself in another form of investment, then you're probably in a bit of a bad space renting only. Is, can, is that a,
0: a fair statement for me to make? Absolutely. And, you know, we don't think about this when we're 25, 26. But when we get to 35, 36, 45, 46, and we've got no investments and we're not generating equity and personal wealth, we start to panic a bit. Mm. So, you know, I was always, always ingrained into me, get onto the property market sooner rather than later because 20 years down the line, you'll look back and you'll have this asset that's worth so much to you in terms of equity. And for the young generation that's coming through now who are ignoring this and choosing to rent for lifestyle purposes, you do not want to wake up at age 45 and go, well, I've got no assets. Mm. However, if you speak to a financial advisor and we were talking about this i 've got a friend who 's a financial advisor he doesn 't care too much about being invested in property because he 's invested in the stock market and shares and unit trust, et etc cetera, etc cetera. So I think you know a personal equity and wealth generation conversation is one thing because you can invest in so many different forms to build wealth, but property has always been most people's go-to wealth generator. Because I have got to live in a home. I need a home to live in. So I might as well own my own home. And while I'm here for the next 20 years, it's going to grow... And, and generate some equity for me, which I can use in the future if I want to.
1: It's something that needs to be pulled apart a little bit. Because when you buy something, people say, I, I bought it, I own it. But you don't <laughs> really own it. No. You only own it at the end of of that repayment period, which can be years and years and years.
0: Yes. You have ownership. You take ownership, ownership so it is yours. Mm-hmm. You can renovate it. You can style it. You can create what you want out of your own space, which you own. But you're 100% right. You don't actually own it if you owe the bank money for it. Um, And that's something that obviously you will pay off over 20 years. And Robert Kiyosaki was one of the first people who came out and said, living in your own home is actually an expense. Mm. Yep, It's not an asset if it's not generating passive income for you. And his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, was one of the first books I ever read at age 19, which ingrained that into my mind. So – Also, what's been happening over the last couple of years is the price of property growth has been pretty stagnant, has been pretty flat. So people who are looking at it are going, well, while property price is not escalating massively year on year, maybe I should be putting my money elsewhere, putting it in in stocks and and investments and getting my 8, 9, 10, 12%, whatever you're getting per annum. And while that's happening, let me rent where I want to live.
1: This particular point needs a little bit of context and the context for those who are are new to this idea or or, are just on the the very edge and and moving into understanding property markets and how you use your money. But the the real concern around stagnant growth is inflation. Absolutely. that That's the enemy. And so inflation is the price that anything um, grows year on year, the cost of living year on year. And if you're not investing ahead of inflation, you actually effectively are losing money. I think that's your point.
0: Absolutely. And if you look at the statistics that FNB send out, Quite regularly, you know property price inflation has been after the effects of inflation pretty much static year on year what,
1: what, what is that what, what is the The, the, rate the, the, the number moment?
0: is not sticking with me now, but okay. it 's pretty much close to zero percent mm. because if you take the effects of inflation, if property is growing at five to six or seven percent nationally per annum, but inflation's six percent then your overall growth is is negligible.
1: So let, let's get a little bit structured in this conversation. Let's just talk about some of the benefits and we've mentioned them already some of the benefits of renting. What are the the solid benefits for you when it comes to renting?
0: Well the first thing let me give you an example is that you can live somewhere almost above your means right now. So I've got a property that I invested in 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 central Durban North, it's prime Durban North. We paid 3.2 million rand for it. And uh, we had, you, you know, you've got to have a nice, decent deposit, so the bank will give you a good rate. So we've probably got about a bond of about two point seven, two point eight million on that property. The bond repayment to me is going to be in the region of twenty, sort of three to twenty five thousand rand a month. On top of that, as the landlord, I'm paying rates of about three thousand rand a month. This so is I'm, that expenses part. This, this is the expenses of owning the property. So I'm in for about twenty eight thousand rand a month on that property. My tenant is paying me seventeen thousand rand a month. So if that person had to live in and buy that property, they would be pretty much in for 27, 20,000, a month, but they're renting it for 17. So they're staying arguably in better accommodation that they could afford if they had to go and buy it themselves. So that's, that's number one. So yes, in the old days, we'd say don't go and rent because you're subsidizing somebody's bond. I've just given you the figures to show that, you know what? I'm actually subsidizing the tenant who's in my property. Mm. However, what the tenant has is flexibility. Yes, you cannot move into somebody else's home and rent and do what you want to the property. You don't get to decorate it as much as you would like. You can't add on an extra room. Um, you, you can't do anything without the permission of the landlord, but you have flexibility. When your lease is up, if you do not want to stay there, you just go and find alternative accommodation. Mm. In fact, in today's day and age, you can pretty much give 21 days notice and get out of a lease. So you do have flexibility and you get to choose where you want to live for the short term. Those are probably the pros of renting.
1: Yeah, I think that those are the two big pros. And this idea of flexibility must never be underestimated. But then that takes us into the, the, the cons of renting. Uh, one of the cons that we've mentioned is this idea of not building equity.
0: And that was the beauty of, of owning a home is that you were kind of in the market for creating equity and wealth over the long term. Mm. So when you're renting, yes, you're getting to choose where you want to stay and where you want to live. And just to go back to that example I gave you of the tenant who's paying me 17,000 Rand to stay in a four-bedroom home in Durban North, if that tenant decided, well, oh, I'd actually rather go and stay on stronger beachfront in a two-bedroom flat with a beautiful sea view for 17,000 Rand, they can make that choice. Mm. But when you're renting, let's get into the cons now. A, you don't have ownership. So along with ownership comes so much more than just creating wealth and building equity. It's I can't do to the property what I want to do with it. Mm. You know, if I want to install new blinds, or if I want to change the paint colour, or if I want to redecorate it or uh, uh, remodel it in some way, I've got to get the permission of the owner at any time, mm. um, and that's that's a big thing because when you're living in a place for a long period of time, you want it to feel like it's yours.
1: Yeah, you want to feel uh, you want to feel uh, it's, it's home. your home. Yeah.
0: And when, when you're renting, there's always going to be limitations on that side, and you know, so yes, you have the flexibility, but you don't have the ownership and you don't have control over that property. And, of course, at any time, you don't know if your rental period is going to be renewed. Mm. You could love staying in the two-bedroom apartment in Amshlanga, overlooking the sea, but your landlord might have other desires for that property. So
1: flexibility but uncertainty. Uncertainty.
0: So, yes, I've got a one-year rental, but how do I know whether my landlord's going to renew it? And I actually don't want to leave. But I might be forced to leave, and then I've got to go and find something else, which is just as nice as this.
1: Mm. Now that, That's a really good list of pros and cons. Let's then move the conversation over to land ownership. Let's talk about a young couple who are going into the market and saying, we've made the, the buy decision, the purchase decision. What are the pros? What are the cons? We're leaning that way anyway.
0: So in terms of if I'm living in the property, I've got to manage my financial obligations. That's the biggest thing that as a homeowner, you've got to be able to manage. When you buy a house, you're taking on a huge debt with a bank or a financial institution. And if you haven't properly calculated what you can and cannot afford, you do not want to be in a situation where a year into owning the property, you're forced to give the property up.
1: I just want to jump in on, on this particular point around financing. Is the best way to get financing on a fixed, Interest
0: rate. I would say the opposite. Yes, there's there's different scenarios. If you can get it at a fixed interest rate that suits your budget, and you're the type of person that doesn't want any more further risk, or you want to be risk averse to any future fluctuations, then if you're comfortable with getting a fixed rate, get a fixed rate. But it's always going to be a couple of percentage points above the variable rate. The bank mm. factors that in. Mm. Um, and of course, when it's fixed, you're not benefiting in during periods when interest rates are lower, which where we are now. We're currently sitting in a situation where we've got some of our lowest interest rates in 20, 30 years. And people with variable rates are taking advantage of that now, and they're getting that benefit.
1: Mm. But, uh, But you have to structure accordingly, plan accordingly.
0: Yeah, and if you want to be clever and smart and go, well, we're really, really low at the moment on interest rates, so surely our next move might be up, and you want to take a stab at that? That's fine. That's your risk that you take. But just remember, you're going to be paying slightly higher than the low rates now because there's always a premium when you take a fixed rate. But how do you really know what's going to happen in the future with the economy? Mm. You know, even the analysts get it wrong sometimes. Mm. They predict interest rate increases and it goes down. My advice is always take the variable rate Mm. um, and just always be prepared that it may go up course it may go down but if it went up one or two percentage points can I still afford my bond at that rate
1: rates don't usually go up beyond one or two percentage points at a time anyway and
0: we have had periods in our history where it has yes but in exceptional times mm. um, so you know we are in fairly stable times at the moment and one of the best conditions for any property market is to have a stable interest rate environment. Mm. Whether it's up or down, as long as it's stable, that's what people like. People like a, a certainty. Mm. They operate best in those sort of environments.
1: So uh, what, what other cons might there be beyond managing finances?
0: Well, I think when you own a home, you've got to understand that you've got to maintain it. So yes, there's the cost of your bond repayments. There's the cost of your rates to the municipality. You've got to keep up with your electricity and your water. But what about home maintenance? You know, are you budgeting in the fact that you've got to keep your home looking good? And we see it so often where homeowners neglect the conditioning of their home for Mm -hmm. years. And I'm talking now the five year paint, you know, inside and outside, looking after the garden, um, all these minor repairs that if left over a long period of time can become major things that need to be done to the house. Mm. And we see it time and time again where this gets neglected over the years. And eventually it gets to a point where the homeowner actually can't afford to properly maintain or get their home into a good position to sell when Mm. it comes time to sell. Mm. And, of course, if you put a home on the market that hasn't been well maintained and is not in good condition, you're not going to get a market-related price for that home when compared to others in the area that have been kept in good condition. So – people do neglect the maintenance side and, and keeping up the maintenance of a home
1: you come from a family that which is a property family you've spoken about remax how you've been involved there for for years and years and lots of experience just a, a quick word to of caution to property buyers what what are the five things three things top things that they should be looking and asking about as they're making that purchase decision or looking at a home and saying, we want this one. What do we ask?
0: So in South Africa, we have this footstool clause, right, that everyone talks about. Mm. And so many people thought that with the introduction of the Consumer Protection Act, this clause would fall away.
1: I was under the impression that it would as well. And
0: it didn't. Okay. No. So what happens is when you're buying a property, most real estate agreements of purchase and sale will have a clause in there that the purchaser is warrants that he has had the opportunity to inspect the property. Mm. Now, if you walk around a property and you see there's a crack in the door or there's a little bit of damp coming from the ceiling and it's out there in the open and everybody can see it, it's not hidden, Mm. then the seller actually doesn't have to walk you around the house and go, oh, look at that crack in the wall. It's there for you to see. Obviously, Mm. the agent or the seller could point it out. But as the purchaser, there is an obligation on you to properly inspect a home that you're going to purchase. And, of course, if you're buying a home that's going to cost you hundreds of thousands, if not hundreds, or not hundreds, if not millions of mm-hmm. rands, you've got to be diligent in just inspecting the property correctly. However, when you're walking around the property, there might be hidden defects that the seller is aware of, which he has a duty to disclose to the purchaser. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you're walking around a property and there's a crack in the in the bottom of the pool. And there's a leak that's sort of seeping out into the neighbor's yard. And if you had to walk through the home, you wouldn't see it. Mm. The the seller's been clever. He's topping his pool up with water every day. But he knows there's a fault with the motor or a fault with 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 the surfacing of the pool. He has a duty to disclose that to you because he knows. Um, And if you purchased that property and it came out later that what could be proven that the seller knew about it, you'd have a claim against that Mm. seller. Mm. So there's a huge onus on the seller and their their duty to disclose to a purchaser any hidden defects of which he or she is aware and needs to make make known to to the purchaser. Uh,
1: Okay, so there's that element. Anything else? Any other top tip that you can share to a... a, For a purchaser. I would invest
0: in a home inspection report. Okay. South Africa is one of the few markets in the world where we don't insist on home inspections. Mm. And again, if you consider you're buying a home for... Even if you're buying a home for a million rand, which is the national average of property in South Africa, it's around the million rand mark. You're spending a million rand on a property... And most people are reluctant to spend three and a half, four thousand Rand for a home inspection report. And in doing so, you're getting peace of mind where someone's going in an experts going in and inspecting everything to do with that property. Now you're taking away this drama of, is the seller going to disclose yes or no? Sometimes the seller doesn't know there's a leak in his roof. Mm. Uh, He doesn't know there's a cracked tile in his roof, but a home inspector will go in and he will look for all of that. And as a purchaser, yes, you will pay for that report. But wouldn't you rather pay three to 4,000 rand to have that piece of mine? Markets around the world, particularly in America, Australia, it's part of the sale process Mm. where you'll agree on price with the seller. The purchaser and the seller will agree on price. Then they'll bring in the home inspector. Um, The home moves into escrow, they call it. The, The home inspector comes in. And then he produces a report of faults in the property. Yes, some might be over the top, but then there becomes a second negotiation. Okay, I can live with this, this, and that, but maybe you should adjust your price because I'm going to have to uh, repair this pl- uh, pipe or et etc. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it just brings peace of mind to a transaction, which in my opinion, and this is my opinion, is a far better system than relying on the footstool clause.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This has been a good conversation so far. Let's, let's move it towards this idea of now investing in a property to... Earn some kind of income from it. You've done this. You've got experience here.
0: Okay, so there's a couple of things. I mean, are you going to be investing for long-term? Or are you going to try and invest in a short-term turnaround? Which is the flipping flipping, side. And you've done that. (laughs) And I've done it, and I've made money, and I've lost money, believe me. mm. Uh, There are risks involved. And when I got into it, I thought, well, what can the risks be here? There are so many things that can go wrong, and they will go wrong from time to time, but on the whole, I believe if you do your homework properly, if you 're diligent in how you are looking for the right deals, you can and you will find deals where you're under value. Okay. you 're buying undervalue
1: okay what it, What does the right deal smell like or look like
0: Well, for me, it was always. 75% below what represents market value. Okay. And there's many, many reasons why a seller will let a property go for 25% less than what it's worth. Mm. And that's a whole nother conversation. A lot of people go, oh, you can't find those deals. You have to look harder. Um, you have to possibly be full-time looking at property deals. That's what you, but you will find them. Mm. And when you can buy a property under value and you can touch it up, add a little bit of value to the property and then sell it for a market-related price, you can make money. You can mm. Um, the difficulty comes in a transaction like that where there's unseen or unforeseen costs mm-hmm. or problems, uh, or possibly using contractors who are not as good as they tell you. And they you know they hold up a transaction for longer than it should, and now you're paying holding costs or bond costs while you're waiting to to flip it. So there are many things that can go wrong, but I think there's great opportunities in flipping homes as well.
1: I remember a, a few years ago. Well, by a few years ago, I mean about. Uh, 20 years ago, it feels, us looking and, and and we discovered this webpage on Standard Bank's website, which was a, a list of repossessed homes. And we looked at some of them, we looked at the area and we thought, how is it possible that these, these homes are so cheap? Have you explored that? I'm sure you must have at some point.
0: Yeah. so this was the fallout of the, the sort of financial crash that we had 2008, uh, 2009 sort of mm, time. Mm. And the banks were left with so much bad debt on their books. They all came out with these help you sell type programs. And in the real estate space, we got given a lot of these homes to sell and it was quite clear that the banks were prepared to let it go at a discount. Mm. That's one of the reasons why someone will let a home go. If they can let it go quickly at a discount, they're releasing themselves from a much bigger debt burden. So yeah, there was a lot of money that could have been made during those times. Um, the problem that you have is in, in South Africa um, and possibly not so much with these properties is how do you... How do you move somebody out of a home if they've got nowhere else to go? That was mm. one That was one, one. thing that was was quite a, an issue to get around. And, of course, the banks and even the auction houses, they take no risk in that. If you go and buy a home on auction, it's your responsibility to get <laughs> the current homeowner out of the property. Yeah. Um, I must say have, I haven't had many problems with that, but it is a, a, a problem that can potentially arise. Um, but, yeah, that was a period of time. And the banks did very, very well in getting rid of a lot of their, their stock. And for them, I think it was a case of let's get rid of this debt and collect as much as we can. And even if it means selling it at a discount to market value, let's just do it. Okay, so so
1: we've highlighted the the flipping opportunity that exists. Let's just talk about some of the longer-term opportunities that come with investing in property.
0: Yeah, so again, you can be living in your own home and, and decide, well, I'd love to invest in a second property. So homeowners will then buy a second property and put tenants in to rent that property from them. Um, And as we discussed earlier in the conversation, when you first buy a property and you've got a big bond on that property, you're not going to be recovering all your costs through the rental, pretty much. I mean, look, it depends where you are. London is a fantastic market where you can. Um, In London, they offer you uh, interest-only mortgages. I had a property for 12 years in London where I was receiving more rental than I was paying my mortgage. Mm. Uh, In South Africa, for most of the properties that I've ever bought, I've actually been subsidizing the tenant. So on the understanding that as the bond payment goes down, so if your focus goes into putting any additional capital that you have to reduce the bond, uh, you, you put that focus into putting the bond down as quickly as possible, you will get to a point, obviously, where your rental income is now providing you with a little bit of passive income. Mm. But for most people who are buying uh, properties to let out, you are subsidizing it to a certain respect. So if you're looking for that passive income type investment – you're possibly not going to get that from buying a residential property in most markets. Okay. Why well, I say in most markets, there are markets where you can find that. Um, I bought a property in a block of flats called Bryanston Heights, which is right by the Natal Technicon there on the Berea of Durban. And that type of accommodation, I was buying a unit for 320,000 Rand. Mm. And the students would move in and they didn't care to have a lounge. So, they converted the lounge to two bedrooms. And So, on a bond repayment of 3,000 Rand a month, I was making 6,000 Rand a month rental. Mm. So, that's a great investment. So, it always gets me when real estate agents advertise properties and they go, incredible investment. To me, an investment, yes, there's long-term growth. But an investment to me is if I'm putting my money into this property – what return am I getting in terms of incremental or passive income? Mm. And that's what I like to look at. So for me, that 300,000 apartment where I was making passive income of 3,000 rand a month over and above my expenses was a better investment than going to Gateway, and I'm stronger, buying a 1.5 million rand flat where my bond and my rates are more than what, The rental i'm receiving yeah
1: and then there's the subsidizing thing that has to happen and 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 yes
0: and and then also there's this massive risk associated to being a landlord and i think people forget about this Mm -hmm. and it's not to put a dampen on this i still think buying multiple properties is a great part of your financial strategy and wealth building going forward but what landlords need to understand is you take on the risk it's not the agency's risk the agency will help you but at the end of the day if your tenant stops paying you Do you have the financial support to keep that bond repayment going without the income? Mm. And the banks will look at this nowadays when they give you loan finance on second properties, Mm. specifically properties to let. They want to know if that tenant doesn't pay, can you still afford the bond? Let's look at the worst case scenario because you can do any credit checks you want on a tenant. You can look at their income statements. You can find the best-looking tenant on paper. But in three months' time when that tenant's business closes or no. suddenly they, they've they lost their job, which they didn't expect, and they've got no money, it's very difficult to go to them and say, right, Mr. Tenant, you need to move out now. Mm. They're protected to a certain degree by the PIE Act in South Africa. Mm. You cannot just evict someone or shove them out. There's mm. a process. So there is that risk as a landlord. And for me, it's probably happened once um, over all the years. But when it happens once, it's the worst experience to go through. Mm. It it literally eats at you on the inside because you know you're chewing up money and you're losing money every single month. And somebody has occupation of your property and you cannot just go there and turf them out.
1: Yeah. I and mean, so there's a money thing. But there's, there's also the, the the softer people it's side. It's I mean, yeah, oh, I mean, hugely emotional. Why, I mean, why can't you? But, but but the reality is you can't. And yeah. so yeah, it's a very And the thinking situation.
0: space is that is my home. You're staying in my home. You're using my home. And you're not paying me. Mm. And it gets very, very emotional. And some people want to barge through the door and turf all their belongings onto the street and lock them out. But they have rights. They're protected. You cannot just do that. Mm.
1: This has been a really, really good conversation. Uh, One last question before we wind down here. Is there a case? Is there any case for investing in property? where the goal is to make money, but there is no rental income that's coming from from that property. Is there a case for it anywhere uh, that that you're aware of?
0: So in other words, I'm buying multiple properties, but I'm taking on the cost of the finance of all those properties. Is that what you're saying?
1: That's correct. Um, well, if
0: you've got deep pockets, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, I don't see there as a case for it because yeah. even if you've got that amount of money, you want to put your money in an investment that gives you some sort of return. Mm. Um, and it's not just a return, oh, when I sell the property, I'll I'll make back capital. No, how is my money working for me today yeah, and tomorrow right and next month? So if I'm going to put money into property as an investor, how do I compare that return to the return that I would get if I put that same amount of money into the stock market or into shares? Yeah. And the one point we haven't touched on in all of this and probably one of the major reasons why you wouldn't or shouldn't do that put all your money into property with no return, is that when you need to get your money out, property is one of the least flexible investments. So your liquidity is tied up in properties where at the best sort of outcome, you could get your money back in three to four months. Mm. But the process of a sale, hey, you've got to market the property, you got to find the buyer, you might have a crash deal, now you've got to remarket, re a new buyer, They've got to apply for finance. That takes 21 days. Then there's the whole transfer process, delays in the municipality. It could be a six-month process. So if you needed your money or access to your money quickly, property is one of the least liquid forms of investment.
1: Grant, this has been a fascinating conversation we've really appreciated all of your insights. A last word or two or are you happy that that you have answered the question rent or
0: buy? I'm happy. All I just don't want to leave your listeners with the impression is that I'm negative towards property. Mm. Not at all. So I grew up in a property environment. A lot of my wealth is sitting in property. uh, Whether it be um, commercial buildings, residential buildings or a property real estate business. Um, And I think if I was born into a family of financial advisors, I might have invested a different way. So everyone has to make their own decisions. But what I love about investing in property is that you actually have to have a roof over your head at some point. So if you're going to make the decision as to where to live, if you want to, um, if you want to build wealth over the long term, you can do it with a home. You can, but you just don't wait too long to get onto that, that property market. I still say buy first if you can. And when is the best time to buy? Whenever you can. That's that's my final word.
1: Grant Gavin, thank you so very much for your insights. That is all we have time for for future CEOs, this ask an expert feature this week. We'll see you same time, same place next week.
2: This is